0: Our evening series is the book, how we got it and how to get the most out of it. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be studying how God's word does its work. And I think as we kind of launch into it, and as I say a few things, you'll start to remember, oh yeah, we talked about that last week. It'll, it'll kind of bridge a little bit without me doing a specific review. I think you'll be able to sort of trace where we've been when you see where we're going. How God's Word does its work. 2 Timothy 3... 13 through 17. Why don't we, just to mix things up a bit... Do you have that text? And does yours start with... While evil people? Like dot, 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 dot? Okay. Let's read this all together, okay? And don't mumble it. Proclaim God's Word as we read. While evil people and imposters... Will go on from bad to worse... For training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We've uh, seen in the past two studies at night... ...that it's very important to have your life shaped by the right examples. The power of a great example is the first of two forces... That are designed to make ordinary people like you and like me, or people like Timothy who are young and experienced, there are these two forces designed to make strong influence in the kingdom of God and to build that into our lives in this dark world. So, right away, the text, as we've been studying it for the past few weeks, it ...pushes back against the constant tendency... ...to sort of carelessly allow your life... ...to be molded by bad examples rather than good. And that's why... ...even though you jump into the middle of the sentence... ...that's why I included in our reading... ...the way Paul reminds Timothy... ...that, that the bad will only go from bad to worse... ...in this fallen world. That, that if you if you follow bad examples... Your life doesn't just stop where their example picks up, but it follows the same direction. It's a degenerative example. Bad people are essentially weak people. They've reached their state by choosing the path of least resistance. They, they ended up the way they are by following a crowd that tempted them and made them feel like they were out to lunch because they didn't fit in with their plans and their expectations. There's always tremendous pressure to conform to the wrong spiritual shape as long as we live in this world. And so, Paul writes to Timothy, and we've studied it for two weeks, that that, Timothy, the most important thing here is, To make sure your life is being shaped in the right way. The examples matter. They matter a great deal. People who are going to follow Christ... ...then and now... ...always have to stand against pressure. Not just young people. Everyone in this room. If you're going to follow Christ in this world... ...the only reason I mention young people... ...is because Timothy's young. And secondly... um, the mind of this world is particularly magnetic to young people because there it captures a whole life rather than just the last few years of a life. And so, Paul cautions Timothy. He's known the scripture since he was a kid. The text says that. But but that doesn't free Timothy from the fact that The culture around him is constantly pressuring him into the wrong shape. And discipleship involves resisting that. Always has, always will. Now, Paul didn't make this up. He got it from Jesus. Jesus said the very same thing in different words in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. You know these words. Enter by the narrow gate. He's talking about entering the kingdom. The kingdom has to do with not just getting to heaven, new heaven, new earth. It has to do with all of the realm of God's rule, now and in the future. Living a kingdom life, now and in the future. Before Jesus comes again and after he comes again. How do you you enter that? Enter by the narrow gate. That's how Jesus starts. If you want to get in... Look for the narrow gate. For, for the gate is wide... ...and the way is easy. Wide. Everybody is on it. The, way is, the gate is wide... ...and the way is easy... ...that leads to destruction... ...and those that enter by it are many. You, they just follow... Have you ever gone to a a ball game or a symphony or some event where there's a large crowd of people and you walk in and everybody's, there's 15 doors and everybody is lined up. You can see them. They're from here to those doors at the back of the sanctuary and they're all going through the same door. And if you just walked up beside them, the door here is open. You could walk up, open it and go in. Why is everybody here? Well, that's where everybody's going. Wide gate accommodates everyone. Verse 14, the gate is narrow, the way is hard, that leads to life. I have a great book in my office. Jesus loves you and has an incredibly difficult plan for your life. I love it. The gate is narrow, the way is hard, that leads to life. And those who find it are? So so the Y gate accommodates. That's the thing. But it only leads to destruction. The entry point into real life, eternal life, kingdom life, well, that's confining. It's, It's narrow. Fewer people take it. In other words, and this is unbelievably important, if you judge the value of a lifestyle simply by its popularity, if you judge a lifestyle by the cultural momentum of people accepting it, you're going to make huge mistakes that will cost you your soul. I hope everybody heard that. In this world, the general rule of thumb for spiritual safety is, start with a natural suspicion about the direction of the crowd. Please, please make this lesson Specific. Make it pointed. Carry it with you all week. Moral inclusivism. I said moral inclusivism. I'm not talking about racial inclusivism. or I'm talking about moral inclusivism. That's what Jesus was describing as the broad path. With everyone on it, quite comfortably. And he says it ends in disaster. Moral inclusivism leads to destruction. And the thing about that is there is a growing segment in the evangelical church that equates, equates godliness with tolerance. Godliness equals tolerance. Tolerance equals godliness. When the revelation we have in the scriptures teaches the exact opposite. Moral inclusivism. That's the broad path. It's ruin. So, Paul tells Timothy to seek out and to cling to good examples. Don't just go mindlessly with the crowd, Timothy. Now Paul moves on to a second great producer of godliness. I said there were two. We spent a couple weeks looking at the power of a great example. Now he's going to move on to the power of the word of God. And I love reading verse 17. It's, it's the goal, the goal of the whole passage. That the man or woman of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. See, whenever, whenever someone promises that result, becoming a man of God, becoming a woman of God, when everyone says, someone says, here's the way to that, I'm immediately interested. That's what I want. And Paul is telling Timothy that that there is a way to be a man of God or a woman of God even in culturally perilous times. There's a way for people like us to rise above the environment in which we live. I want to be a man of God because those are the very words used to describe Moses. He was a man of God. David a man of God Elijah it's called a man of God I'm interested in that and also if you're like me there's something there's something in all of us at the same time that says sure that's nice but God I think you might have the wrong person I'm not Moses and I'm not David and I'm not Elijah this might just be out of my league and maybe you're not not yet. But that's surely the point of this whole passage. Paul says there is a divine instrument. There's something very powerful... That, ...that can make you into something you can't even imagine yet. I don't care how messed up your life is right now. I don't care how hopeless you think your future is. God, God has a, a tool. He has an instrument... His word, and it's not just for imparting information, though it starts on that level, you need to know it. But it, Paul says, is this powerful tool of, of, of re sculpturing, shaping, reconstructing lives, ordinary lives like yours and like mine. So I want to look at that in the next little while. Point number one. Paul wants to drive Timothy to look again... ...more deeply... ...at something he already knows... ...but needs to... ...rediscover on a deeper level. It's in 14 and 15. But as for you... ...continue in what you have learned... ...and have firmly believed... ...knowing from whom you learned it. How from childhood... ...you have been acquainted with the sacred writings... ...which are able to make you wise... ...for salvation through faith in Christ. So... Continue is the verb. He's already learned it, what you have learned. He already believes it, what you have firmly believed. There's there's a particular danger that Paul is talking to young Timothy about. Timothy is in his late teens at this time. There's a danger that actually he has flagged in this very letter, in... In chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says to Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit, to suit their own passions. Timothy, Paul says, people will always want something more flashy than just continuing. Timothy, continue in what you have learned. And he tells them right up front, there's a lot of people that that's not, that doesn't have enough sizzle for them. People will always think that something more is needed. Something deeper is needed if they're to be set free from the bondage of dominating habit and sin. And I, you know, I've been around long enough to see that Paul was right. The hardest thing to do, the hardest thing to do is just continue Let me tell you a story. It's a true story. Happened a long time ago. There were people here in this church, and they had friends in another church. I won't tell you where. Not in Newmarket. This is uh, 10 years ago. And here was this church, it's a PAOC church, and this couple who were friends with these people. All of a sudden, one day, these people phoned these people. They were related. And said, Our, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Our church has... Remember, this is 10 years ago. Our church has just shut down at Sunday night service. And they asked these people who phoned me and said, "What? What? how can I get in touch with the district superintendent? Like... We have to do something because our church, we're shutting down our evening service. Well, there was nothing anybody could do. A church can do whatever it wants, pretty much. And these people were very upset. And then roughly about a year goes by. And this church... Didn't have Sunday night church. I'm not, this isn't about that. It's it's, it's only using that to illustrate, okay? I'm not condemning churches without a Sunday night church. I just want to illustrate something. How hearts change. So a year goes by. Now, these people phone these people. We're having a barbecue. Sunday night. Can you come on up here and join us? These people would call me and say, Pastor, what should we do? Because... This church shut down its evening service, and these people were all upset, but now they're very happy with it. And they're calling us. And how do I say to them, why are you calling us on a Sunday night? Like We go to church on Sunday night. And they were all upset, horribly upset. Then another year goes by. And then another year goes by. These people, they've left the church. And you would call them and say where are you Sunday night? And they'd say, you know, you don't have to go to church Sunday night. Go to church Sunday morning. Please, I'm not lecturing you about about Sunday night. What I'm trying to show, do you see the drift? Like, do you see how that happens? You see Sunday night, I'm only using that to illustrate it. You could put any number of things in there. It just struck me, here, here are these people. These people, first of all... Get in touch with the district office. This church is, what in the world's happening? And then they get used to it. And these people are all upset that they call them because they can't imagine not being in church Sunday night. And then these people start going with these people and then, why in the world do we have to go to church Sunday night? This is ridiculous. Look around you. Glance left and right. The hardest thing to do is just to continue just to continue. It's not easy, is it? Just just keep doing the same things you do for Jesus over and over and over again gets very tiring. There has to be something more exciting, doesn't there? And that's that's what Paul is talking to Timothy about. The hardest thing to do is just to ...just to continue. And so I want to issue this call... ...forget the illustration now, I'm not talking about that... ...a call back to the Scriptures. I know we all believe the Scriptures. I know we all revere the place the Scriptures should have. I don't mean that. I mean, I want God to awaken in all of us... ...this fresh embracing of the value of His Word... ...as God's primary means of making us into what He wants us to be. Pastor John, I think that's overstating it. There's other stuff, you know, besides studying the Word. And there is. But I have it on pretty good authority that that's premium. Somebody fairly famous said this, If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. John 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my Word, You are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what's happening all over Canada in the body of Christ is we're getting to the place where, corporately, there's one time a week. Just one. And my concern is, is that enough? Is that enough for God to make me into what? Pastor, Don, I read my Bible every day, and I I know you do. But Paul's writing to Timothy about a church, about a congregation. Never have anything to do with any teaching that makes holiness more complicated than abiding in God's word. It's all... That's what Paul is calling Timothy, this pastor, back to in this passage. We rarely take for granted things that are brand new. But we frequently take for granted very old routines... ...and old habits and old truths. More spiritual power is lost by neglect than by rebellion. Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have learned lest we drift away from it. You never drift deeper into the Word. You only drift away from it. Lest we drift away from it. How much time have you spent in the Word this week? I'm sorry to be so blunt. If somebody clocked your time, measured the moments you rose early or stayed up late just to feed your soul with the scriptures, if someone clocked your time, would they conclude that you felt the study of the word was the key ingredient to all that you valued and cherished most in your Christian walk? Would they get the impression, if they looked at the ingestion of the scriptures, would they get the impression that that was your one and only hope of being all that God was calling you to be in this world, or would they think it was marginal? Marginal. What would they think? That's the issue of of passion and hunger for the word... ...that Paul puts on the table for Timothy. Very plainly. Just keep going, Timothy. You don't need something new. You don't need something special. You don't need... uh, Just let the bandwagons all roll by. Just continue. Just keep on keeping on in the same old words... Don't let the passing of time numb your appetite to how crucial it is to having the word make you a man or a woman of God. And that's that's what's at stake, Paul says. One of my favorite cartoons was when Linus is throwing a stick. Snoopy's going to get the stick. And so Linus, obviously, in this cartoon, has just thrown the stick. And you see Snoopy, he's just about to run and get it, and you see the bubble over his head. And Snoopy is thinking, do I really want it said of me after I'm dead and gone? He was a nice guy. He chased sticks. Don't, don't spend your time chasing sticks. Continue in this, Paul says to Timothy. Get the word. Be at church when the doors are open. Bring your Bible. Underline. Read. Think. Ask questions. Study more. Okay, point number two. Only the scriptures can make us wise unto salvation. So he tells him, 14 and 15... Continue in what you've learned. Just keep going. Just keep going, Timothy. Knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. That's it. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Maybe Paul was thinking back to the psalmist who said the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So, so it has to do with focusing on, on what's most important. And you won't get that from the advertisers. You won't get that from Netflix. You, you, you won't get that anywhere but in God's Word. Only the Scriptures. There's all sorts of sources for general knowledge. But staying in the Scriptures gives you wisdom for dealing with God dealing with eternity, dealing with sin. Only the scriptures can steer your heart away from chasing sticks. You've got these five senses and they can inform you of the world, current events, the philosophies of the day, how to make money, but it takes revelation to to point us to the greatness of Christ. Things like we studied this morning, our faithful and merciful high priest and how that relates to us in our times of temptation. No stuff like that. And here's one other thing to lock up in our minds around this truth. The scripture's making us wise unto salvation. Our minds won't naturally maintain devotion to unseen things in this physical world. Our minds don't naturally maintain devotion to unseen spiritual things in this physical world. We need, we need the word to prime our appetites. It's a catch twenty two. There's all sorts of people who don't read the Bible because they're not interested in it. And you can't get interested in spiritual things without reading your Bible. You see how that works? I don't read my Bible because I have a natural interest in spiritual things. I read my Bible so I will develop an interest in spiritual things in a world that pulls me in the opposite direction. Three. Only the scriptures can make our lives profitable in the truest sense, is the last point. You see it in verse 16? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. These are the words we're going to start looking at in the following weeks. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. But for now, it's profitable. You have to catch Paul's heart in these words to Timothy. Soon, Um, he won't see Timothy anymore. This is right at the end of Paul's life. One of the last things he wrote. The prison epistles, they're called. He loves Timothy. He's concerned for him because, he's already told Timothy, perilous times are coming. They're here for us. We're in them. Naturally, Paul wants to leave his very best advice for his beloved young Timothy. And so, from a prison cell, he scratches out these words ...final words. Timothy, I know you're educated in the scriptures. I know you've studied them since you were a kid. But Timothy, remember those scriptures... ...are still profitable to you. Never forget, never underestimate their value. Even the things you already know, restudy them. They will work in your situation... ...and in every other situation. You'll be fine without me... As long as you're in the Word, you'll be fine without me. As long as you're in the Word. And to hook young Timothy's attention, Paul throws in that word, profit. It's a word that grabs attention. We're interested in profit. Profit is what makes the world go round, profit is what you have left over after you've met all your obligations, profit is the, the surplus. The gain, the inflow that's greater than the outflow. That's profit. Everybody's interested in profit. Only, Paul's not talking about money. He's talking about Timothy and the demands of ministry. Timothy and the demands of life. And he wants Timothy to thrive. We don't want to face life with bare cupboards. We all want to multiply our lives in fruitfulness. I don't want to be the same Christian when Jesus comes back as I am now, if God gives me more years, I don't want to stay in the same place. I want to grow a lot in the next decade if I can. Profit. Profit in your soul. Profit in your marriage. Profit in your work. Profit in your devotional life. Prophet in the ministry God gives you to do in His church, and everyone should have a ministry in the body of Christ. Only the Word, the Word ingested, the Word studied, the Word memorized, the Word meditated on, the Word continued in, the Word obeyed with prayerful diligence, only the Word brings profit. It's, it's, it's the kind of prophet Jesus described in the parable of the soils. It's, it's the fruit of your life. It's all that is deepest and best about you. Being multiplied 30, 60, 100 fold. That's what we want. So the two agents for spiritual transformation, they're still the same. Next week we'll look at the exact process with those words. But the two ingredients are the power of a great example. Don't drift. Find somebody who stretches you spiritually. And a life immersed in the word, continuing in the habits you've already learned, continuing in the things you've already known, only getting into the deep end of the pool instead of the shallow end. Those two things are where fruitfulness comes from.